Carl Vondero, who is the author of Murderbilia and Saving Miles. Carl, what are you reading from this evening? I'm uh, reading from Saving Miles, this book here. And um, it was published in August, so please buy it. Um, I'm going to read from uh, Chapter 1. It's a book about family, kidnapping, and money laundering. So, Chapter 1. Wade Bosworth turned on the front lights of his house for the men who would take away his son. He'd never met them, but on the Internet they appeared in their 20s. The men were driving down from L.A. and had texted that they'd be on time. He made his way to the dark kitchen and sat down. Through the screen of the window, he heard the chirr of crickets, then the neighbor's tree rustling and settling back into the dark. He breathed in the quiet enormity of what he was doing. It was 4 a.m. His son didn't know what was about to happen. In less than an hour, his life would be ripped in two. Miles was 16 years old. Wade put the water on the stove to boil and crept up the groaning stairs to the bedroom. He and Fiona dressed in the dark, then padded down the hallway to listen outside Miles' room. No growls and screeching of heavy metal music, no tapping computer keys. We, Wade eased open the door. The lava lamp Miles had begged them to buy oozed red bubbles that cast a blush over their son in his bed. Asleep, his face looked like a child's. It was hard to square that face to the rants and magic marker on the window shades. I hate families. I'm an alien trapped in La Jolla. Does a zombie know he's a zombie? Wade breathed in the musky odor of marijuana. He needed to center that smell in his thoughts. It was evidence that they were doing the right thing. Fiona's slippers swished ahead of him through the hallway. They creaked down the stairs to the kitchen and the beat-up oak table they'd bought a month before Miles was born. Tonight, Wade had to block off those memories, for Miles' sake. He poured the boiling water and set the French press on the table. Wade had ground the coffee the night before so the shriek wouldn't wake his son this morning. Fiona sat opposite, her long back hunched. She was two inches taller than him, but tonight seemed smaller. Splotches shattered her angular cheeks, and lines had deepened around her eyes. Needles of gray had snuck into her brown hair. In only a few months, ten years of aging had telescoped into her body. He was doing this for her, too. We're saving Miles' life, Wade said, his voice low. When had they started whispering in their own house? Fiona shook her head. We let him come to this. We did everything we could. Did we? Please, Fiona, we can punish ourselves later. Don't tell me what to feel. He blunted his anger. He had to wear his banker's con now. Wade poured coffee into the two mugs. He watched Fiona interlace and unravel her long fingers. Those hands used to fly up in excitement and joy. Not for months. Or was it years? She extended her arms toward him over the table. His high chair used to be right next to where you're sitting, she said. He refused to look, refused to weaken when they all depended on him to stay strong. Let me go over it again. Skipping school, plummeting grades, sneaking out at night, continuous pot smoking. She was silent. He knew she was waiting for him to drop the last incontrovertible reason. And he didn't restrain himself. Not tonight, when their son's life was in the balance. Oxycontin, he said. She stared out the back window into the dark backyard. On the wall, his father's clock counted out seconds like a warden's pocket watch ticking down to an execution. It was 4.20 a.m. 
There was a knock at the door. Across from him, Fiona sucked in a breath. Wade went to the front. The whole block was asleep, but for the two young men standing in the lights of their house, Ricardo and Sam looked like college students or trainees at his bank, hair neatly combed, unwrinkled slacks, and long-sleeved Oxford shirts. Sam, the taller and thinner one, had a small beard. Ricardo was big-shouldered and cleanly shaven. Fiona's shoulders seemed to loosen when she saw them. Perhaps these young men, just a few years older than Miles, could assuage her doubts. The four of them sat at the kitchen table and Wade poured coffee. We're going to do this with respect, Sam, the one with the beard, said. Ricardo nodded at his partner and then at each of them. No blaming, he said. We do this with dignity, Sam said. She stared at the two men as if they were selling insurance. Wade asked the question before she could. Suppose he doesn't cooperate. Sam gave Fiona a sympathetic smile. I've only had to use restraints once, he said. Restraints, Fiona said. Did you just say restraints? Wade steeled his palm against the chair. Why the hell did he have to say restraints? We won't have to do that here, Sam said. Ricardo set his arms on the table. Wade noted they were thick and muscular, like he'd been lifting weights. That's why this happens at 4.30 in the morning, Ricardo said. Your son will be disoriented. His defense is down. We talk to him like men so he can retrain, retain his pride. Jesus, Fiona said. Sam met her gaze. He must have dealt before with hesitant mothers like Fiona. She set it up with the reason why. You set it up with the reason why. Very short. We don't want any arguments. I suggest that Mr. Bosworth do that. Just tell Miles that because of the choices he's made, you're sending him to a place where he can get help. He'll be shocked. Shocked, Fiona said. He'll be scared to death. No, no, Sam said, raising his palms. We're not like that. You leave and we talk to him. All calm. We lay out everything we're going to do to him and tell him it will happen whether he wants it or not. But he chooses whether he keeps his dignity. They always choose dignity, Ricardo said. Wade didn't like how they kept repeating dignity. I guess you don't have to tell I guess you don't tell him you're taking him to a lockup, Fiona said. Wade couldn't stop the words from busting out. Damn it, Fiona, you know it's not a lockup. It's in a desert. It's in Utah. How the hell is that not a lockup? Her fingers had curled into claws. Sam studied Fiona and scratched the part of his beard over his chin. A lot of mothers feel exactly the same way you do. But these kids never volunteer to go to a treatment center. It takes people like us to persuade them. None of you has any idea what it's like to be a mother, Fiona said. We've seen kids just like Miles Fan said. We understand what they're going through. Fiona's eyes glistened. She swallowed and her head dropped. She was relenting and Wade released a breath. The only sound was his father's clock striking the seconds. I know we have to do this, Fiona said. You're a good mother, Wade said. That's why you're rescuing him. But he'll never forgive us. Don't you see that? Sam slid his hand closer to her on the table. Later, he'll thank you. Her shoulders shuddered and she cradled her face. She took a big breath. She stood. Let's get it over with. Wow, that's great for all. You know, I, it's, it's amazing. I was reflecting just on the readings uh, that we've been listening to and how we really do span, like, the emotions. And that, of course, you're dealing with some pretty dark emotions about a father, well, parents and, and their son and what to do. Um, what drew you to this material? What, why were you writing about this 
Well, we, we had some things we went through with my son several years ago, so I wanted to put what happens when you send a, a kid to one of these places, and particularly what happens after they come back and how they changed and not changed. Uh, so um, um, that's what I did, and then plus I wanted to write a book that had some money laundering and family in it, and there are actually three points of view in this book. So that was a challenge and, and a, a good way to do it, I thought. Excellent. Excellent. Very, very emotional. Wonderful scene choice. Thank you.